This is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizards of the Coast. This content is covered under the fan content policy established by Wizards of the Coast. Listener discretion is advised. The Thran by J. Robert King Narrated by Coach from the Carbazar YouTube channel Part 1 The City Thran Phyrexian War Day 1 The Battle of Megadon Defile The morning dawned hot on Megadon Defile. It made little difference to the Thran army's vanguard. Dwarves. They loved the rock and the heat. Their faces seemed graven from stone. Their skin had the same rusty hue as the cavern walls that rose to either side. They were elite mountain dwarves. Two thousand of them. Dust-colored canvas flaps draped their plate armor, shielding it from the sunshine and eyes above. Similar cloth encased the broad blades of battle axes. Long shafts let these heavy weapons walk themselves. But sending up puffs of smoke beside iron-shod boots. Dwarven commander Curtis Worthy ran a strict division. Humans marched directly behind the dwarves. Though tall, brooding, and hardy, they were out of their element in mountains and desert. Many were the levies of tribal warlords on the opposite side of the globe. The rank commanders and troops marched in their midst to ensure that the barbarians would follow orders. All the humans, Thran and Barbarian, had bravado. Or it might be called arrogance. Or belligerence. Whatever it was, they wilted in the heat of marching through the mountains. The 40,000 human infantry shuffled along the tired resignation of prisoners. Even the 20,000 horsemen gritted their teeth and draped wet veils over the mouths to keep the dust out. The elves were worst off of all. Far from the seclusion of bark and moss, they languished beneath the glaring sun. They abandoned their leafy garments and wrapped themselves in white robes, one part desert burnoose and one part grave cerements. Elven hands extended from the retreating folds, skin burned and leathery. The anger in those haunted eyes became despair. The elves had gracefully fallen back to the rear of the column, too slow to keep up even with the dwarven vanguard, too wary to fight any but a rear guard action. Still, the elves numbered 10,000, and many were mages and healers. As long as they could cast spells and heal the sick, they would aid the army greatly. One flank of the column was guarded by lizard men. Though silent and sullen, these fighters were canny in the rocky confines. In a single moment of scurrying steps and lashing tails, all 10,000 of the Vaishino would disappear within the crevices that lined their path. Fanatically loyal to the war bays among them, these reptiles would be more at home on Halcyon's volcanic extrusion than Yogmoth himself. To the other flank of the column marched the finest warriors of the United Army, Minotaurs. More determined and hardy than dwarves, more massive and violent than humans, more placable in battle than Vaishino, Minotaurs were born for war. Though dust dulled their armor from jams and randers, every Minotaur eye gleamed bright with bloodlust. Throughout the column, marching among soldiers of flesh and bone were artifact warriors, mantis warriors with flex-steel abdomens, metallic serpents with razor mandibles. On needle-like legs they scuttled. On grinding treadmills they lurched forward. The College of Artisifers have never supported Yongmoth and had stockpiled war machines beyond his reach. When war inevitably erupted, the artificers made their machines ready available to the allied effort. Best of all, some 300 war caravels cruised above the defile, their sails raked bat-like beside their long, sleek hulls. They cast blessed shade down on the languishing elves. They were ready for war. The Thran Alliance, they called themselves. The five outer city-states of the Empire joined with representatives from the rest of the known world. They had come together to fight a single man, Yogmoth. He was no man but a monster. 
a cowardly monster. At Fonin six months before, he had struck out of the blackness of night. He had bombed his own people to keep them from joining his enemies. He had fought and fled. Vicious and treacherous, ruthless and bloodthirsty. A fiendish cry came from the dwarven vanguard. Something half shriek and half ulation. Humans and elves, minotaurs and vaishino lifted their eyes. The army had just rounded the last bend in the Megadon defile. Beyond the canyon walls opened a broad desert plain. On the opposite edge of the seer space jutted a tall plateau, the volcanic extrusion of Halcyon. It seemed a wall standing in the desert, 1,500 feet high, with the great city crowding the plateau atop. Once the capital of the Thran Empire, now Halcyon and every soul in it belonged to Yogmoth. The demonic cry repeated itself pouring from throats of human and inhuman, and echoing through the rocky mouth of Megadon itself. It was as though the allied armies raised that fiendish cry to summon the demon from his lair. Yogmoth heard the summons. He sat placidly with an armored sedan chair at the head of his Phyrexian army. They waited silently in an underground chamber dug to slant down into the desert floor. The wide mouth of the cavern was draped in a pale muslin to blend with the sun-bleached soil. It was nearly invisible to the advancing army until the contingent had marched past them. Three other such bunkers flanked the marching ground, and a fourth natural cavern lay in a cluster of rocks at the base of the Halcyot extrusion. At Yogmoth's command, the curtains would fall from these bunkers, and the 5,000 warriors, waiting within each, would surge forth into the bare flanks of their foe. For now, though, Yogmoth waited. He heard the demon summons, but did not answer it. He was no demon. He was a god. The last six months had proven it. The canny lord of Phyrexia had many surprises waiting for the Thran alliance. Smiling, Yawmoth leaned back in his sedan chair. None of my adversaries will survive this battle. Even now, his enemies strode upon the plains. They were bold as wolves. And why not? Led by dwarven elite, flanked by minotaurs and vaishino, guarded from the skies by 300 war caravels, supported by mantis warriors, and scuttling creations of nebbish artificers. Why wouldn't they be bold as wolves? They even howled like wolves. Hearing their insolent whooping was almost enough to make Yogmoth trigger the attack too soon. He would not be goaded into such a mistake. This had been too carefully planned. There were appropriate steps. Among the marching legions drifted the vast shadows of Thran ships. While the army had coursed through the defile, these ships had remained in a column above shading them from the glaring sun in any possible attack. Now, the shadows, smooth and silent as schooling leviathans, began to slowly drift apart. No doubt the ships would circle the city, just out of range of the ray cannons on her walls, and demand surrender. We'll see who surrenders. Yongmoth reached into a flat box that held a three-dimensional schematic of the battlefield. At strategic points in a miniature defile and flatlands, tiny power stones glimmered. Yogmoth touched a certain crystal embedded there. A high whistling sound answered the motion. He smiled. The marchers howled once more before the sound broke through. Then, the army of the Thranolines heard it. It was a piercing whistle, and it seemed to come from the very sun. Soldiers squinted up toward the sliding bulk of their warships, trying to see past. In a heartbeat, the whistle became a shriek. There was no mistaking it. The Allies heard this sound before at Phonon. There, ships had soared into being out of the blind midnight. These ships came out of the very eye of the sun. The one place to hide in a brilliant sky is just beside the sun, Yalmoth said. 
Phyrexian warships and their scores swooped down beneath the Thran aerial armada. Ray cannons flashed aboard Yawgmoth's ships. They tore holes in Thran hulls. They burned away Thran soldiers. Barbarians cowered. The air over their heads teemed with streaking Phyrexian ships. Humans and elves dropped to their faces. Dwarves stood against the onslaught, some flinging ineffectual axes skyward. Minotaurs also raged through the storm of ships. Some of their blades actually connected with the hulls, only to be flung back in a lethal rain. Splinters and smoke boomed from the Thran fleet above. A shower of charred bodies and weaponry plunged out of the shredded craft. In the wake of the shrieking Phyrexian ships, the battlefield was littered with wreckage and death. Yes, it was a battlefield now. There could be no doubt of it. War caravels crashed to the earth. They fell in a regular rhythm, like the footfalls of a running colossus. With each pounding report, soldiers were crushed in their hundreds. Easier than I expected, Yogmoth murmured. Then the unthinkable. Cannon fire raked across the Phyrexian vessels. Their decks blasted open. Their hulls shattered like walnut shells. They fell from the sky. Eight of them cut down in a moment. Yogmoth saw. A battery of his own ray cannons had been salvaged from the Battle of Phonon and mounted beneath Thran war caravels at the back of the Allied column. His hand reached in the schematic, signaling the next onslaught. Even as Thran soldiers dragged themselves from beneath burning warships and struggled to cover, the ground came suddenly and horrifically alive. The soil opened beneath their feet. Some fighters fell, legs consumed to the knee by the ground itself. Others reeled back from the treacherous well, only to stumble into another. They tumbled, hands, heads, and knees jutting into the razor-edged holes. Horses, too, went down, hooves caught and hobbled immediately. Whatever dropped into those holes never emerged again. With a sound like shark jaws snapping close, scythe shutters clamped down on whatever meat and bone presented itself. Motors spun. Blades met. Blood fountained. Warriors shrieked. They staggered back. Limbs, cleanly shorn shy of the knee, across the ankle, above the elbow. Some did not stagger back. Those whose arterial lacerations emptied hearts and heads and bodies in one brief gush. My beautiful sand crabs. Yalmoth sighed happily, reaching into his box schematic to touch another power stone. Arise. Dismembered corpses moved grotesquely. The ground under them mounted up. From hundreds of wells in the sand, metal monsters emerged. They seemed gigantic crabs of steel, sloughing grip from optic rays. They had been buried just beneath the surface, and holes in their backs had opened to swallow and shear off the limbs of the Thran soldiers. Many sand crabs obviously carried corpses on their metal carapaces. Others bore only the gory trails left by severed limbs. A pair of snapping claws preceded each beast. Scuttling legs clawed their way from the holes. Pincers caught in minced flesh. Those who fled, barbarians and elves, only stumbled onto more sand crabs. Most held firm. Humans and dwarves and minotaurs were glad to have a foe to fling their blades at. That was as much harm as they could do at the artifact creatures. Swords clang impotently on armor. The attacks did not slow the quiet and efficient machines. Artifact creatures hewed Thran like machetes hewing cane. At the rear of the Thran lines, elves unleashed spells. Desert scrub brush grew rampantly, miring sand crabs and minotaurs alike. Artifact engines rusted away to dust. But so too did the dwarven axes. Summoned creatures appeared. Ferocious bears, 
giant spiders, timber wolves, but none were a match for those sand crabs. None were meant for desert battle. Only the scuttling scavenger folk in their filthy multitude made any headway. They and their specialized hex irons and crowbars could strip an artifact in a gasp. Of course, with sand crabs, those who stripped the machine were also stripped by it. For every sand crab disabled, scores of scavengers died. Yawmoth enjoyed the spectacle in a moment before touching the five stones that summoned the five divisions of the Phyrexian army. Sand-colored canvas fell from the trenches. Silver-armored warriors marched grimly forth. They seemed machines themselves. Power stone swords and axes gleamed hungrily in their hands. These were the Halcyte guards. They strode as they'd been trained, not breaking ranks, hewing their way through any impeded. Wood, steel, brain, bone. Their natural fanaticism was overlaid by a war spell. They would not pause. They would not surrender. They would not stop until their foes were dead. Minotaurs and dwarves were cloven in half. Silver armor grew red as their allies died. They really had no chance, Yongmoth said, a touch of false sadness in his voice. To the north and south formed unexpected things. Tan as the desert floor, serpentine shapes rose and twisted and swelled. Cyclones? The dust devils lingered beyond the armies, gaining speed. Their wavering columns darkened, seeming to solidify. With pernicious intent, the twisters converged on the marching Halcyte guard. Those who strode doggedly onward were caught up in the winds and flung away. So the elves brought something useful after all. A pity more than won't live to witness my next surprise. Yamath touched a dark, slender crystal in the box schematic. From the cavern at the base of the Halcyon extrusion, at the heels of the marching guard, came a massive figure. It climbed from the interior spaces, forged of black metal. It seemed an avatar to the dark cave itself. As the figure rose into the light, its form became clear. Its sloped head was the size of a mammoth. Its jaw was hinged beneath scimitar teeth. Hunching soldiers emerged next. Simeon arms swung beneath, with massive hands large enough to grasp and crush ten men. A metal-plated torso, a sinewy pelvis and crouched legs. A behemoth. The name of the thing whispered from a thousand lips, terror breathing through the air. The colossus galloped on knuckles and knees out onto the battlefield, hundreds dying with each footfall. Another behemoth came on the heels of the first. It too stormed toward the terrified invaders. The first behemoth surged into the Thran lines. It crushed dwarves with every step. Its claws eviscerated whole phalanxes of minotaurs. It seized a flying ship, bit through its keel, reached up into the hold, and yanked forth the power stone core. The war caravel fell from the sky in a rush of sparks and splinters. Meanwhile, the second behemoth headed up a charge of Halcyte guards. With no more care than a child crumpling and flinging blades of grass, the behemoth clutched up elves, crunched them up in its claws, and hurled their broken bodies atop the guards. Streaks of crimson marked the helms of vambraces, those who could not avoid the fallen bodies. As if shooing away insects, the Halcyte guards slowed the dying forms and marched onward. They will be out of elves soon enough, Yagmoth told himself contently. Elves fight like popcorn. I like to see this behemoth really fight. He got his wish. The gray behemoth's claws were suddenly full of writhing metal. Artifact creatures. Many were mantis warriors. Others had the configuration of humans. Still more were conglomerate creatures, with curved backs and scuttling legs and scythes that emerged from their sides. 
the behemoth lifted in a fragile-looking mantis whirr and crushed it in one claw. It snatched up a second and smashed it into the other. Thousands of servos groaned as the behemoth flung out its arms in tandem and hurled the mantises free. Except the mantises did not fly free. Broken though they were, their legs and pincers still held on. They rift, but not in spasmodic destruction. Legs moved purposefully, clawing down the behemoth's uplifted arms. It struggled to shake the things loose, to no avail. More artifact creatures climbed up its legs. They were roaches, swarming a bloodied figure. They tore at it, covered it, overwhelmed it. Damn, Yangmont said. Must be Galcyon's designs. In moments, the behemoth was completely covered in spidery artifacts. It staggered a few paces more and then toppled face first into the ranks of clockwork warriors. Housesite guards drove forward, intent on liberating the fallen beast. No! Yalmoth shouted, touching the stone in the box schematic. It was too late. A high keen began. Springs wound beyond their constitutional capacity. The gray hide of the behemoth split and flung back. From beneath, thousands of metal sinews lashed out, slaying all those around. Whip-like, they shattered artifact creatures and halcyte guards both. Blue-gray steel whipped. Silver armor severed. Red blood flowed. Damned halcyte guards, Yagmoth snarled. They all ought to be Phyrexians. This battle would last longer than a blazing moment. It mattered little. Yagmoth had planned for a long engagement. His forces would hold. The Halcyte Guard and Phyrexian Guard. The fleet. The artifact engines. While the Thran Alliance is so occupied, I'll go on the offensive. In the mountains beyond the invading armies lay a largely ignored target. It was arguably the greatest achievement of the Thran College of Artificers. A massive broadcast station that allowed the college to monitor every artifact creature in the Thran Empire. It could also shut down any mechanism that went rogue. Unknown to all but Yawmoth, the station could even command those creatures. Yawmoth would capture the broadcast station, the Null Sphere, and with it, he would command the Thran Artifact Army. Smiling wickedly, Yawmoth set his hand beneath the control stone of his sedan chair. The craft rose, silent and smooth, from the bunker and shot toward the city above. His personal war caravel waited there. His personal crew. They would capture the Null Sphere. They would command the artifact engines of the Empire. Yawmoth would crush the Thran and their barbarian allies and bring all of Dominaria to its knees.